the vocabulary was based a lot on research in glissants, this notion of poetics of landscape. But instead, we shifted it to seascape, shifting his phrase, but, but also connecting it to Brathwaite's notion of tidalectics to center it more in water and center it more in these different rhythmic and tidalectic relations that exist across the archipelago. The Beyond Museum Walls Curatorial Residency Program is a student and recent graduate-led initiative developed at the Curating and Public Scholarship Lab, or CAPSLE, at Concordia. And this year, Seascape Poetics was curated by Bettina Perez-Martinez with assistance from Simone Cambridge. This year's project examines the complexity of the Caribbean and its relationship to water. We invited program coordinator Alex Robichaud to tell us about the Capsule's residency program and to speak with Bettina and Simone about the process of developing Seascape Poetics. We would like to begin by acknowledging that Fourth Space and Concordia University are located on unceded Indigenous lands. The Cayuncahaga Nation is recognized as custodians of the lands and waters on which we gather, and Chichage, Montreal, is historically known as a gathering place for many First Nations. We respect the continued connections with the past, the present, and the future in our ongoing relationships with Indigenous and other peoples within the Montreal community. This interview was recorded in early March 2021. My name is Alex Robichaud. I'm the program coordinator at the Curating and Public Scholarship Lab, also known as CAPSLE. And I'm also one of the co-founders of the Beyond Museum Walls Curatorial Residency Program. And I'm super happy to be here today with Bettina, who is the exhibition curator, and Simone, who is the assistant curator of Seascape Poetics to chat about the process of turning our originally planned in-person exhibition into a fully virtual exhibition. And yeah, it's been a lot, <laughs> to say the least. Um, so to give some context, uh, the Curatorial Residency Program is currently in its third iteration. It's a program funded by the Social Sciences and Humanities Research Council, the Fonds de Recherche du Québec, Société et Culture, and the Sustainability Action Fund at Concordia and it provides paid opportunities to emerging curators. So the residency is entirely run and organized by Beyond Museum Walls RAs, uh, research assistants, including myself, and all of us are emerging researchers, curators, museum workers, arts organizers, and artists. And so the idea is that the Beyond Museum Walls research assistants take on specific roles, such as an ex exhibition coordinator like myself, a communications coordinator like Simone, for example, uh, curatorial assistants, editors, uh, and this group of emerging professionals peer mentor each other and share a wide array of skills, all towards creating this exhibition that is visioned and creatively led by the curatorial resident. So in this iteration, Bettina. And the residency program is structured in phases. It starts with an open call for submissions judged by the Beyond Museum Walls research assistants. When the once the resident is chosen, we move into three additional phases. It begins with a research phase where we're reading and sharing information. Uh, it moves into a development phase where we're really planning the exhibition. And finally, into the prototyping phase where we're testing, translating, and refining all of the written and uh, visual content. And this culminates in an exhibition and a public program, which we're currently in the middle of right now. And uh, we also have moments of 
of Outside Consultation, where we bring in seasoned museum professionals and academics to review the work in progress and to check in on us and provide support. Last April, just a month after we had gone into our first lockdown due to COVID-19, uh, we heard back from Shirk that we had successfully gotten funding for the third curatorial residency program. Uh, at the beginning of the project, we were still a little optimistic, and we didn't rule out an in-person exhibition right away. Uh, but by August or so, it began to be really clear that there was a good chance things would still be shut down in February of 2021. And so we decided, especially given our tight budget and timeline, to just fully shift the project to be digital. And I know this was a hard shift for a lot of the team, especially you, Bettina. Uh, but I do think that making this decision was the best for all of our energies and our capacity uh, because it cut out a lot of uncertainty and it allowed us to make some decisions. In September, we started thinking seriously about curating in digital space. And I think generally in our research, we were feeling underwhelmed at this time by a lot of what was being made uh, right after the pandemic began. I know for me, something that was really big was to keep a sense of physical space in our virtual exhibition. Uh, it was something that was really lacking in a lot of the projects that we saw in our research. And I feel like a lot of what curating is, is based on creating an experience and a relationship, which is often done in and with physical space. So through mutual friends and networks, we were in contact with World Creation Network, a team of web developers and artists, and started talking about the possibility of curating and uh, the chosen artworks in a 360 virtual space. And while all of the research assistants and Bettina have extensive experience working in museums and galleries doing all sorts of different things, none of us had ever created a virtual exhibition space in this way or curated in this way. And so it did present a lot of challenges for us. How did you feel when we had to make that decision to switch to be entirely virtual? And how do you feel about it now that the exhibition is fully up and you've seen people's responses to it? I think that when we first made the decision to switch to an entirely virtual exhibition, that it was really difficult to even wrap our heads around. Like we had already begun uh, selecting artists. We're trying to figure out how to adapt for space to our curatorial vision. And so it was kind of heartbreaking, especially because Bettina's original proposal had originally been so um, connected to place and creating a space that allowed you to directly engage with Caribbean art and colonial history and climate change. But um, eventually, as we got in touch with web developers, um, we went through the journey of imagining what the exhibition could be in its new form. And now I just feel really excited to have the project out there. Um, I think that it was something that was really useful to think about during the pandemic when so many things felt uncertain. It was like this digital space was something that we could control and it felt like we were creating a world outside of everything that was going on. And now it's great to hear the responses just about the exhibition being just just as immersive and engaging as it was for us. Yeah, I guess, as you mentioned before, Alex, it kind of felt like a, it felt like a letting go of a project that you deeply care for, just because the original vision, as you said, Simone was so in, intrinsic to location and to being formed within location and physical experience in the location. And there was a bit of a difficult shift in the mind or mostly just like kind of having to think very creatively of how to recreate this this feeling of 
holding space somewhere without actually being anywhere, you know, completely doing it digitally. That was sad, but uh, then as we start working, especially with the web development team, it was interesting to see all the possibilities that existed in creating an online exhibition that, especially coming from like a curatorial and art historical background, you don't have any experience with like digital or technology. So it was very difficult to imagine the possibilities at first, but then once you knew the amount of possibilities you could recreate in this digital space, it was very exciting because it, the initial proposition for the exhibition was so held with place and recreating a feeling of space, then it only felt natural to just recreate the Caribbean landscape in a digital setting. Um, it was also really nice to hear the experience with some of the artists where they were really excited about digital placemaking. And so the idea of recreating a shore, that was really exciting. Um, so the next question that I had for you both was, uh, did working on this project change or affirm your view on curating or what a curator is or does? Working in this project, there was, I think, more conscious decision going into it just because you couldn't just recreate a Caribbean landscape randomly because then it could just fall into like tropes of tropicalization or different kind of negative stereotypes spread upon tourism. So I had to be very conscious of how you will depict this landscape. So there was like this added element, aside from the curatorial work of having to select artworks and selecting how they speak to each other and the order within them, then there's also having to design a whole landscape, which was very interesting. Right now, I'm so fed up with digital anything that I want to say no, but I know that it's a really interesting tool. And I think for certain projects, even if there's no pandemic, it would function well. And especially the aspect of having everybody, be they coming from the Caribbean, from North America, um, that was mostly the audience we had, they still experienced the exhibition at the same level. And at the same, well, it depends on your internet connection and technology as well. So not, not everyone, of course, but at least like people there in Montreal won't have a physical exhibition. Whereas if you're in New York, you will only see the digital exhibition. It's not every, everyone's seeing it digitally. And I think that was really interesting in a way of like, especially because it speaks so much diaspora, this exhibition and a way of connecting the diaspora with people in the Caribbean through the same space and coming at it from the same perspective was really interesting. So not crossed off my list, but uh, I want to do an in-person one soon, whenever it's possible, of course. With digital curation, there kind of is this um, whole other realm of freedom that you get. And the only limit really is budget. <laughs> so you can kind of do whatever you want. Um, so it definitely expanded. Um, just like the ethics, we talked, it expanded what I thought a curator could do in terms of ethics that we talked about as a team. It made me consider that a curator has to be up to date on technology. And I think digital 
curation gave us the space to do that. Um, also, too, I guess something that's kind of interesting to touch on is like your role as curators and designers, because there are so many more possibilities with the digital space. Um, like oftentimes when a curator is working on an exhibition, they'll be working with a either an exhibition designer or they're working with like an installation technician and they kind of have an idea of what they can do. But it's really those experts that are going to kind of guide the curator and tell them what is physically possible. And I felt in we were kind of working with the web developers in a similar way, uh, where they were kind of the experts, they were the ones actually making the art and developing the landscape. Um, and they were kind of telling us like what boundaries uh, we could work within. But because I think the possibilities are so much more endless in this scenario, uh, you play more of a designer role than you might as a regular curator working in a physical kind of white cube space. Because like you both said, like you're designing landscapes and topographies and like shorelines. And so that's a, it's a whole other skill set that I think maybe none of us were expecting that we had to kind of draw upon as well. I'm wondering if you had any tips for people who are interested in digital curation. Was there anything that you learned in particular that you'd like to pass on? I didn't have any experience with what web development or like the on the possibilities of technology, especially as it stands now in 2021. Can it create with 360, with VR, like all these different technologies that if you're not up to date and in the field, you're not you don't know the possibilities. Um, so it was interesting to meet web developers that were able to kindly <laughs> educate some of us, at least I'm speaking for myself. I had no idea coming into this about possibilities in 3D or like digital rendering or anything like this. My advice would probably be if you are aiming to working with web developers or digital artists and you have the time to learn more about these uh, the updates in these technologies before going into the project, It'll save both ends a lot of headaches and probably unnecessary explanations that could be found on the internet. And not, not to say like I'm very thankful to our web development team for having the patience, at least. I didn't know what, what was the possibilities or having them explain to me the limits of this technology. But And some of the teachings I think has been about a lot of intentionality with how you depict a certain space in the web develop in like a web development medium because it, after the exhibition people are going to be asking exactly everything every little detail and so having a reasoning behind why you do things when you have so many decisions to take of developing these topographies but i think also if this taught me anything in the future is that the field of curatorial studies and curation is going more multidisciplinary as curators it's quite helpful to discipline yourself in many, many aspects. But watching them do it and like create the, the models for the artwork and then watching how that transforms through the rendering process, realizing how long that takes for them, I think was something also that I didn't anticipate. I think just having like a get to know session could also be really helpful for the team and like having your web developers know that you don't know and then also be committed to teaching gently with the, the rest of the team and making sure we're all, all on the same page and and having lists having lists is super important like a google doc list of everything that needs to be done that you both can refer to um it's invaluable because otherwise yeah it would have definitely a lot of things would have gotten lost along the way i have 
One more question uh, here for you. Speaking more to the process of developing Seascape Poetics, I was wondering if you would both talk about the title of Seascape Poetics, where that came from, and how uh, yeah, that manifested in the project, because I know it was something that we worked on a lot, and it was something that came later on in the project. Yeah, so initially the project was not named Seascape Poetics, it was Mapping the Superior Landscapes, which... It's not bad, but um, the name for the exhibition I gave to it as a proposal, and then the proposal shifted so much because of, we added a lot of uh, Caribbean artists into the mix and speaking more about notions of water and our external and internal cultural team kind of let us know both mapping can be a colonial tool and we didn't really necessarily want it to fall into that. And also that it was shifting more less about landscape and more about seascape. That's where the shift came from. And then the vocabulary per se was based a lot on research in Glissant that has this notion of poetics of landscape, but instead we shifted it to seascapes and then the use of poetics at the end. So also shifting how his phrase, but kind of turning it around, but also connecting it to Brathwaite's notion of tidalectics to center it more in water and center it more in these different rhythmic and tidalectic relations that exist across the archipelago. Uh, that's how the title came to be. Developing exhibition text was how we have ended up getting at the name rather than the other way around. So that was an interesting process of like, as we wrote down the intention of the exhibition, that's when the name came out rather than when you think of an exhibition, you think of the title first. But I find it le- now going through the process, I find that less intuitive. I find it more intuitive to write down the exhibition, like curatorial vision, the exhibition statement, and then be like, okay, this is the perfect title, because then you're sure. The name Seascapes kind of just reflects our um, focus on the relationship between land and water, which became, like Bettina said, a really essential part of the exhibition, because I think what we came down to was that landscapes um, can exclude water, but seascapes kind of are essentially connected to the ocean. Um, and it's great um, that we settled on this title because as we get deeper into the artist's work, um, so many of them build on poetry and um, the work of Glissant and tidalectics of Brathwaite. Yeah, I agree with you, Simone. Definitely it comes from a place of us being two diasporic curators that are from the Caribbean, but based in Montreal. And then like this notion of wanting to kind of connect these two locations that like you are from the Caribbean, but you exist in Montreal, yet constantly looking back towards the Caribbean, just because I think in the global north, there isn't as much presence of Caribbean art as I would like it to be. For example, there's a huge population of Caribbean people here in Montreal, but you don't really see a lot of, I mean, I haven't seen a lot of Caribbean uh, shows focused on Caribbean art or Caribbean artists. I think it's interesting that especially now that everything has shifted to a Zoom platform and being online, that it doesn't seem as far-fetched to just kind of try to unite these these locations. And even initially when we had the hybrid model for the exhibition, it was going to be a digital exhibition, but we we're going to have our closing event. The screening that we're doing is supposed to be in Puerto Rico and the Bahamas simultaneously as in Montreal. Uh, Unfortunately, COVID restrictions didn't allow for us to do anything in person, but it was mostly a a way of connecting the diaspora with the Caribbean and kind of situating that despite physical location, 
you're still Caribbean. Even if you were born and raised in North America, you're still Caribbean. Like there is this, sometimes people place these hierarchies of like diaspora or like people that grew up outside the Caribbean versus people who are authentically from there. And I don't think that's correct. I think it's just a different way of being from the same region. Thank you for listening to the Fourth Space Podcast. You can follow us on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, at CU Fourth Space and wherever else you find your podcasts. The podcast is hosted by me, Douglas Moffat, and produced by Anna Voklovic. Editing by Chloe Lalonde and Mackay Hawgrove. Social media and web support by Kari Balmstead. Our theme music is courtesy of Supercontinent. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.